Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, in the in the beginning, in the beginning, yeah, in the in in, uh, in the listen properly in in the beginning, yeah, in 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 the beginning, in the beginning, in in. All right, and welcome to another episode of Challenging the Traditions of Pod, or Challenging the Traditions of Men podcast. Rather, uh, I want to thank you for joining us again here with Steve, Leith, and Tom as we dig into the last aspect of Rashid which is in the beginning, the very opening to the Bible. It's been a very interesting. Uh, adventure i guess we could say as we've learned a lot concerning what in the beginning means when we took it uh, when we first took a look at it we just saw it as in the beginning of some kind of you know creation event there taking place with the sun the moon and stars and so on but after comparing its language throughout the bible we got a different picture as in the beginning became very noticeably being associated with the beginning of a people, then a king, and then a king's son, and then the beginning of even a transfer of a new king of a long line of nations. So we see in the beginning being associated uh, quite heavily and quite specifically in that language that we would have even went to the point of saying it was culturally expected as when we read something as once upon a time, when we read in the beginning, we can easily see how it would be expected that some kind of association to the beginning of a new people's, a kingdom or a king would be. We continued that by taking a look last time also uh, as we grew that into the understanding of the first fruits. And that second aspect got pretty deep as well as we compared and came to the understanding understanding of the growth of Genesis 1's expression going from the beginning of a new covenant people in the in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth and how that kingdom had become flooded and judged by God being left unformed and void and how God saves a people out of that this judged people and then God would cause a wind to dry up the waters into one place causing this dry land to appear and then this dry land brings forth the first fruits and the seed we saw the same pattern with noah and how after being saved from the flood after eden had been made the uh, unformed and void then noah was brought forth he was given dominion over the animals and he was given a garden and he enjoyed the fruit of the vine we then we finally compared that also with israel who after being pulled out of egypt was put through the dry, through the judgment that came through Israel's uh, expulsion from Egypt and brought into the promised land as well. So we got into the concept and looked at how the first fruits referred to the agricultural section and its importance to the people for it brought forth the strongest, the most, uh, just looking uh, at the idea here that the season begins, it's the time to plant, to choose what we want for our seeds. So we want like the hardiest, the, uh, the best seed that's going to sustain us going forward when we plant for next season. So the idea of the actual natural representation being written into the religious aspect as we see that that 
celebration became part of the covenant beginning, which is interesting because as that second aspect of the word, this is being translated as the same word in beginning and first fruits is Rashid. So to see the covenant being associated with the first fruits and even the civic duty being associated with the first fruits, which became the way that the temple the ran, that's how the priests were paid, that became the covenantal requirements of the people. So we saw how in the beginning became associated with a new kingdom and a new king and his reign and how the first fruits brings about a covenant association and not only a covenant association, a forward time in the practical civic duties of the people to pay for the priesthood who ran the system. So with the two aspects of Rashid, we were able to come to this picture of in the beginning of a people, a nation, a kingdom, or a reign that includes covenantal requirements and civic duties. Which brings us to the third aspect here of Rashid. The third, uh, when you take the word Rashid and what we've done, just as a reminder, we've just taken that first word in the Hebrew and went and looked wherever it appears throughout the Bible. And then when we got to the New Testament, found the equivalent word, RK, and we also found it where it plays out in the New Testament so that we were able to see what Rashid is talking about. And so when we take a look here, we see a third aspect coming out alongside of in the beginning Rashid and first fruits Rashid. This third aspect is centered around the firstborn, the future strength, the might, the continuance of progeny, the generational succession. So that's what we're going to move into tonight. We're going to be moving out of Rashid at the end of this episode. So I just want to thank the panel for coming back to go through this again and just want to say, uh, how was the holidays? How are you guys doing? It's a new year. Uh, thanks for joining us. It's the first. So how are you looking? And uh, any ideas, any things you have to say about the new year before we get going into the study? Uh, we got Steve here. We got Leith and Tom. We got the full boat. So jump on in, guys. Hey, guys. Um, yeah, good to be here, Dallas. And um, excited about the new year. Uh, Family's healthy and doing well, and glad that the podcast is picking up because a couple of my friends are getting in on it, and it's created some new cool conversations. Um, and uh, I'm glad that uh, one of my favorite things this so far after all this has been um, not having to sit down and talk about man's doctrine and what um, previous people, uh, how they've interpreted things. It's fun starting from scratch and looking at uh, scripture for what it is and using scripture to kind of show us what's happening. So I still uh, appreciating this, um, this study and, um, and thanks for everyone else for being here with us too, to make it fun. Right on. Thanks a lot, Leif. I really appreciate that you're enjoying it and glad to hear about the family. How about you, Steve? How are uh, things for you? Uh, they're pretty good. I mean, Glad to be beyond the holidays and get past all this and just start thinking about other things. So that's about it, really. Nice cultural freedom as a as a nice outlook. Uh, <laughs> get that break. How about you, Mister Tom? How was uh, your time? How are you looking forward for twenty twenty four? Hey, yeah, twenty twenty four, man. I can't believe it. It's uh. 
man. Just uh, another year, uh, uh, another year older, uh, hopefully another year wiser for us. Um, yeah, I just kind of echo what uh, Leif had to say there that, uh, you know, that this is this has been a really uh, fun time with this podcast and just just digging into looking at the scriptures and looking at it in depth and, and doing, you know, kind of these word studies and and just seeing um, where this goes from here. Um, holidays are over. We, we had a, a good time with family. Um, and uh, yeah, excited about 2024. See what that holds. All right. Well, then let's get to it because uh, I too am excited to keep this going because I have been really enjoying it. So, Let's get into Rashid, the third and final aspect, rounding out our understanding of what would a Bible reader, if they understood these languages, what would they expect to read? Well, based upon our usage of lexiography, which is through the usage of word, word study, word usage, we have gone through and compared these words with themselves. Let's continue into this third aspect and see what we can dig up. So. We do get a great theme here in the third aspect. And it's just like the first one. We could clearly see that nation and kingdom come up. And then with the first fruits, we saw that covenantal commitment. Well, what we see here with the theme going into this third aspect, well, it, we're going to combine. We're going to, again, these are the exact same words. So we want to start in our mind compiling these words together because. As a listener, when you hear this one word, it has all three of those associations, and you're going to pick into the context which one you're going to, con in your own mind, focus in on. But they do build upon one another. So, for example, the theme of the third aspect of Rashid is a king's firstborn. And the king's firstborn is the king's son of inheritance. He is the hope of the nation. He is the hope of the future for the kingdom. For the kingdom is dependent upon this son of inheritance because it's his strength. Is he a good seed or is he a bad seed? He, whoever what seed he is, is the might of the father. The father's seed passed to his wife and became the firstborn. The firstborn is the first seed. And just as we saw in the first fruits, the importance put on the first seed towards the celebration, the covenant, the civic duty, the reflection of nature. We see that being poured into this understanding of man and his first seed, his firstborn. And then we read that his first seed, his firstborn is his might. It's the might of the father, the whole father's vigor. For his first seed, the one given, is the one given preeminence. For that first seed is his, the, the preeminent seed, the one over all. The Rashith of the king, the head over all. And so we see that in the beginning, the first fruits being rolled into the human experience here. We're going to first jump over to Genesis 49, and we're going to read 1 through 3 there. And so as you guys uh, take a quick flip over there, I hope you can see how 
this idea of the firstborn is really stealing from the first two ideas because we're getting the in the beginning of a new person, a firstborn, and we're getting the covenantal association of the inheritance of the father. So it's a very big deal because that's what we just read about in uh, the first fruits was it was through the inheritance of the fathers that this whole system of covenant was established between God and Israel. So when we read Genesis 49, 1, 3, we get the, we get a, uh, our first use of Rashid in this aspect of the continuance of progeny, the generational succession. So let's give this a go. Genesis 49, 1, 3, we find it says, then Jacob summoned his sons and said, Assemble yourselves that I may tell you what will befall you in the days to come. Gather together and hear, O sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. That is a very big statement. It says in verse 3, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the beginning, the reshit of my strength. Preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. And preeminent is to be first before all things. So here we see Reuben being designated the reshit of Jacob, being the firstborn of Jacob, being associated as the strength of Jacob, and he will be preeminent in dignity. He will be before all people in valor and honor and uh, righteousness is the association here. He will set the way things shall be and preeminent in power. It will be by his word all things shall be done. So he was given preeminence over all, which is a uh, staple which we've heard throughout scripture so far it is interesting how this language is given because it gives us this per this picture that reuben being the firstborn well he is the strength of this whole community going forward it's by his dignity it's by his righteousness it's by how he chooses to lead because he is also preeminent in power in which the whole nation will follow. He, as it says, verse 3, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the reshit of my strength. So it's a very interesting and very powerful picture we get. Let's quickly flip over to 1 Chronicles 5.1 because we do have a very interesting uh, situation here being described for us. As I'm flipping over here and looking at a First Chronicles, I was wondering if uh, this concept, this isn't uh, very unfamiliar. It's actually very easy to see blend into the first two aspects. And I'll just pick on you uh, for a second there, Leith. Do you see this concept merging and blending together as we flip over to First Chronicles 5 and how it easily is this third aspect of the other two kind of melted together there? Any con comments on that? Yeah, it's 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 um, yeah. There's a lot of connections there. I'm just still kind of blown away by those words that were used in 49 in Genesis 49 because it's just blowing my mind about um, 
<laughs> about other parts of what we're talking about Jesus and stuff. So that's what's kind of I'm still blown off by blown away by that. Um firstborn the Rashid of my strength. First before all things, dignity and power. It's like it's t- it's taken the word to a whole nother level. Twice called preeminent. Yeah, absolutely. We're gonna definitely compare that. So that's fantastic that you're already going there. Uh, before we move on, I'll open the door. Steve, Tom, did you have anything to add to that, or shall we continue on? Uh, I have nothing. Yeah, I'm good, man. Sounds good. I, uh, it's, this is good stuff. Right on. So we'll keep this going. So this is an easy pattern then to pick up, because it obviously is just staying in that same vein. So we're not going to belabor this. We'll move forward to First Chronicles 5.1 which gives us a, a very interesting understanding here of this. For it says in 5.1, talking about the genealogy from Reuben, where it says, Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, so that he is not enrolled in the genealogy according to the birthright. Very fascinating. That is very fascinating. We keep reading and it says, Though Judah prevailed over his brothers, and from him came the leader, yet the birthright belonged to Joseph, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel. And it goes on to talk about then his genealogy. So this brings up a very interesting thing, which is that, first of all, Reuben, the, he, the firstborn, lost that status we just read which uh, Leith was, you know, th- that language is very telling in that language, how it was used. And what's neat is how Reuben lost it while he was living. So this is an office. This is a position of power and authority given, just as if we remember that we read with Cain and Abel, for it said that when Abel, uh, what was it? Uh, sorry, off the top of my head, I didn't think it would go here, but Genesis four twenty six. When we see now Cain had already killed Abel and had moved away, so Adam and Eve had another child, and she said that this child was given to replace Abel because Cain had become exiled. He was no longer able to receive that inheritance. The brother Abel had been killed. He was no longer there. So a replacement was put there whose name was Seth. So we do see it is possible to lose the birthright it's possible to be excommunicated from the inheritance. And we can see that God will offer some kind of reprieve. He will give you a replacement. So it's a lot of interesting language uh, floating around this and this firstborn status. We're now going to take a a, a remembrance here as we flip over to Exodus. And we're going to go to chapter 4. We're going to start building a little bit of a picture as we remember Egypt and Moses bringing Israel out of Egypt, and we have a very interesting duplication of the story of Eden, the story where Noah brings them out. That's duplicated multiple times in the Bible, and we see that taking place. Now we're going to compare in Exodus 4.22 this very interesting title given to Israel. So we see it says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, this is God speaking to Moses, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my, fir- my son, my firstborn. 
So I said to you, let my son go, that he may go and serve me. But you have refused to let uh, him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. So we have a very interesting exchange. So uh, all the firstborn of Egypt at this exchange ended up dying because Pharaoh refused God's firstborn. So that, that becomes a very powerful declaration now, as we just saw when we take a look back at Reuben and that blessing of him getting that firstborn status. We see Israel being associated to that firstborn status. When we take a read, we find out that the future of the whole people, the kingdom, depends on these sons of, of succession. And what did we find? Egypt's strength, Egypt's might was removed for a whole generation as a result of refusing God's firstborn, God's future generation. So it's very interesting language and a very interesting illustration as the punishment upon Egypt associates exactly to what we've been identifying as God himself identifies his firstborn and does the eye for the eye tooth for the tooth. Now, when we read in Psalm 78, we'll flip forward here, we get an interesting uh, reflection of the psalmist on this matter, and we're going to take special attention to how he describes it. We're going to be taking a look at verse 49. So 78, and we're going to go to verse 49, and we're going to read up to 51. This is uh, Psalms, right, Dallas? Is that what you said? Yes, uh, Psalm uh, 78. Oh, no, I'm glad you jumped in. Psalm 78, and we'll go uh, 49 through 51. So we do have in Exodus 4.22, God calling Israel his firstborn, giving them that declaration. We also see Egypt refusing, saying, no, we're not going to let you do it. We're not going to let you take your firstborn. So God... Uh, judged Egypt and destroyed all their firstborn. And now in Psalm 78, 49 through 51, the psalmist is going to give us a, uh, a reflection over that event. So verse 49, we get, And he sent upon them his burning anger, fury and indignation and trouble, a band of destroying angels. He leveled a path for his anger and did not spare their soul from death, but gave over their life to the plague and smote all the firstborn of Egypt, the issue of their virility and the tents of Ham. What's interesting there is in verse 51, it says uh, all the firstborn were struck down and the first fruits of their strength. So when it says in the first issue of their strength or the first issue of their virility, that's the word reshit. So let's put that and let's give that a quick read again here. So what we end up finding in uh, verse 49, we get the judgment. He sent his judgment upon them. Verse 50, he gave them over to the plague. And what did that end up doing? And smote all the firstborn of Egypt, the very first, the reshit of their strength, their virility. So it's the same word usage here. That's that future, the power, whatever they had to offer has been taken. Their first fruits, the reshit of their strength has been removed. 
We're now going to compare that to, as we heard from Leith, and bring all that language into comparison, and we're going to look at Colossians. And we're going to skip forward to the New Testament while we have this in our minds so fresh because of this language. So when we get to uh, Colossians 1, we're going to be hitting there that verse 118. So we give that a read, and what do we find here? We get, I'm going to read uh, verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Well, that's fascinating, because when we read that, that's preeminence. Like, you can't get... Uh, you know, a better definition of preeminence. Now let's back that up to verse 16 and let's back that up to verse 15. Verse 15, he, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And here we go, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. For he is before all things, and in him all things hold, he has dominion and ruler and preeminence verse 18 he is also the head of the body so there we have the head we have the preeminence he is the reshit he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead here it's the rk word and so we read the same designation that we read over uh reuben we have in verse 18, he is the head, he is the arche, he is the beginning, he is the firstborn of the dead, that in everything he might have preeminence. So we have the exact same authority and position taken from Reuben, taken from Joseph, taken from all the positions that that firstborn position was given to. And where did it end? It came upon Jesus. This is Jesus inheriting this position of the head of the covenant people. This is a kingly position. This is the head of the household. This is the throne. This is the high priesthood. However you want to word it, it's the Rashid. So that gives us a very interesting and powerful understanding because that means that Jesus is the Firstborn, he's the Rashid. He's the strength of the kingdom going forward. Whether he is good or whether he is bad, whether he is a good seed or a bad seed, it's based upon his righteousness that the entire future of the kingdom is established. That's the definition established in Psalm that we just finished reading, Psalm 78, the incident with the Pharaoh in Exodus 4. And we compare that back to Chronicles with the transference of this uh, position of the firstborn, as we read in Genesis 49 with Reuben being bestowed this colorful language, where we read he was the beginning, the strength, the preeminence, the firstborn, and his might and power. So it's a very interesting duplication we see being thrown over top of Jesus, definitely. And that's exactly what Leith was already seeing. So before we go on any further, and we're going to take a look at another couple uh, scriptures after this, uh, we've covered a little bit of terrain here with very significant implications, as we can see that Rashid 
has to do with the office of the firstborn and the success, the continuance of the kingdom going forward based upon that new king, that new person, the new first fruit, the new Rashid. So I'm going to go backwards this time, and we'll end up starting with Tom, then we go to Leith, then we'll go up to Steve. So let's pick on Tom. Any uh, first comments? Yeah, well, one thing, uh, yeah, Michigan just beat Alabama um, in the, uh, the Rose Bowl. <laughs> I, I can't, and, I can't and, believe you just brought that into the study. Okay. Uh, Dang it, the reason that I brought that in, it's just, it's not me just throwing that in there, right? So, college okay, okay, football, well, I'll listen, I'll listen. College football <laughs> is king in the South, okay? So, I'm not an Alabama fan, I'm not a Michigan fan, but uh, yeah, as, as we're looking at, uh, you know, talking about Colossians and, and Jesus being, being the head and being the preeminent one, um, you know, so so college football is similar to that. Not, I mean, not to Jesus doesn't compare at all. But you know, for a lot of people down here in the South, I mean, it's just college football is a huge deal. But uh, but Jesus is the actual preeminent one. He's he's the 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 first. He's the head. He's the king. And so uh, yeah, I just had to just had to relate that and throw that in there because. Uh, you, you know, maybe somebody has some interest in, in college football as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you, uh, when you take a look at that personally, uh, when we compare this then, when we look at that third aspect and we see the importance of this continuance of progeny being handed the uh, strength, you know, this, the future of the kingdom will be based upon whether they're the good seed or not being the might of the father, the, the father's vigor, uh, the, what gives him preeminence, what puts him his head over everything, which makes him the Rashid of the king. Seeing that as an office, as a position given to Reuben, how we saw Reuben lose it, it's being given then to Joseph. We see it being transferred also to Jesus here in Colossians. Does that have any impact on you? how you would theologically approach looking at that? Because... That is often, uh, pardon me there, that's often uh, mixed with the idea that Colossians 1.18 is talking about that Jesus was part of Genesis as one's physical creation. Yeah, I, you know, the, the way that I see it is that, you know, Jesus is the completion. He's the fulfillment of you know, the, the firstborn. So all of these other firstborns and, and, it, and you can just go through the entire history of Israel and, uh, you know, the, the firstborn uh, son to all of the kings. And you have you had righteous kings and you had unrighteous kings. And so sometimes you would have a, a righteous king, have an unrighteous son follow him. And then you'd have a uh, unrighteous king, and, and he would be followed by his son who is righteous. But, um, you know, ultimately, when we we move towards the, the New Testament and Jesus, he becomes a fulfillment that there, there is no more uh, un, unrighteousness. He, he is the fulfillment of all righteousness. Absolutely. Leaning heavily on that firstborn from the dead, 
being in that new eternal state, which was deemed righteous. So absolutely, it's very, very important because with him being the future strength of the kingdom then, and it all relying upon whether he's a good seed, he becomes the eternal good future for the kingdom. So that's a very good uh, connection there. So I'm now going to move forward from Tom over to Leith. Uh, first responses, you know, you were right to lean towards Colossians as a connector there. We filled in some of that gaps. Now, how are you looking at this, Leith? Uh, I have a billion questions and a billion things to talk about, but <laughs> I'm going to try to focus it in on one. Um, <laughs> when when we went through Exodus 4, 23, when he's talking to um, Moses, the Lord tells him to say to Pharaoh, Israel is my son, my firstborn. Let him go that he may serve me. Um, but you refused, and so behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. In this, in this particular um, example, Dallas, is he? Is there anything pointing to the idea that that Pharaoh and and or Egypt was was part of, was understood as a firstborn? Um, was, was there some sort of was, was there a power of transfer from Pharaoh because he was was God using Pharaoh for, um, for his work in, during that period of time or something that's my I guess my question or am I missing something here no there's no doubt that uh, you're seeing that right like, Egypt was raised up at that time Joseph was sent in there as a high priest to rule uh -huh. at his right hand he was given a dream in which he was to be able to feed all these nations that were going to go through the drought. And that through that, the nation of Israel was going to be born. And at the end of it, remember how we read last week? Uh -huh. It was through that judgment that a Egypt and Israel both came to know that Yahweh was the one and true God. Mm. So, yes, That's absolutely. Right. It was a judgment and a restoration of a creation of Israel. And it was the judgment, rather, and the rest, the, I don't even know where you'd say it. It was just, it was like they were judged, but they weren't wiped out. Yes. So, yeah, so they were allowed to continue, but they weren't decimated. They weren't removed. Perfect. So, okay. Did that kind of help fill that in? Or? Yeah, that helps it out, because I didn't know if there was like a, a, I guess there was somewhat of a transfer of power, though. Um, he took away Egypt's firstborn. And then put it on Israel. So, I, I don't know if I'm looking at that wrong. So, but yeah, it's a very interesting thing because we're we're seeing that judgment of uh, the nation of Egypt, while at the same time we're seeing the establishment of this new nation at the exact same time of a people coming out from among them. Mm, okay. So there's this picture, like we see in Genesis one, where we see the sea is darkness. And then light comes out from among them, and we got they become a new covenant people. That idea of we have Egypt who is in darkness, and out from them comes the nation of Israel, the new people of light. So there's a lot of crossover there. And the thing that's neat is we do get that language that in the transition, just as we see with Jesus, Jesus is the new firstborn, and that's what's happening with Jesus, is he, we have a picture of Israel who's become darkness. Jesus is the new firstborn, and he's going to lead a nation out of the dark, old Israel that had become Babylon. And so that new nation of the believers in Jesus were being led out. They were the new people of light. 
And we see that being transferred in the same language of the firstborn, the Rashid, the preeminent, the same language we see being associated to Israel in Exodus 4.22 with Israel being the firstborn. So it does bring that dynamic in, and there's a lot to it. I'm glad you brought that up, because as we continue on, we're going to see some other examples about how that language is also used elsewhere. Fantastic. Steve, do you have any comments about how we see uh, this final aspect coming together? Uh, I know uh, your last <laughs> a few comments are, well, it seems pretty normal. Is this even uh, normal, or is this kind of out there? I mean... I wouldn't say it seems normal because I'm not understanding, like, who cares if it's the firstborn? I don't understand why there's this emphasis on it when you could just have a good, good born and a bad born and just choose the good born every time. Like, why even mess with the bad born? But then I do get I do appreciate the fact that Jesus, because, you know, that's always a question of mine. Like, well, what's the big deal with Jesus? Like, OK, firstborn is obviously important. Maybe I'm missing something. I don't quite understand why the firstborn is so important, but it's throughout the Bible. So him being the firstborn gives him some, you know, extra credentials, so to speak. And so that kind of, OK, he isn't important, obviously. So that connects, you know, if you're doubting Jesus in a way, OK, well, that's just, you know, some ammunition to give to say, yeah, Jesus is important because he's the firstborn. All firstborns are apparently, you know, golden child. I don't know. I'm not really following why the firstborn is so important. So that's a really good point. So when we take a look at why is the firstborn so important is according to the custom of the ancient Near East, it was normal that the firstborn was the one who was the one to inherit the kingdom from the father. None of the other children were. So he became the preeminent one. He would rule and reign over all of his brothers and sisters, over all the nation. He would sit as the head over the whole nation. And that then would put him, if he was a kingdom, not only over his nation and his kingdom, but the entire empire in which that king would rule. Or you could be that guy's brother. So it's a really big difference. And the law was established on those traditions in the book of, in the Torah, in the first five books through Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Exodus, where the law states uh, different stipulations about the firstborn getting a double portion, that the purpose of remarriage was in order for the uh, one male to have a child in order for the name to continue on forward because there was a belief. So this is a little bit of a side conversation, but from a Hebrew point of view, eternal life didn't mean dying and going off to being with God for all time. Eternal life meant meaning someone would always be sitting on the throne. So if I, being Adam, had a child and that child went onto the throne and I, as Adam, died, he succeeds me and carries the kingdom forward. That's an eternal kingdom, as long as we have someone to succeed to the throne. The law says the one who succeeds and gets to lead this kingdom forward is the firstborn. So that becomes an issue because you have all your brothers, like we saw how that office can change, who are, like you said, well, what's the big issue? Maybe this, this child's better. The position or the authority, or as we might be more familiar with it, Steve, as a last will and testament, we still, I, you know, as much as we want to pretend, not all the things in the last will and testament get divided evenly. 
And that's what we see going on with this ancient Near Eastern custom is the firstborn gets a double portion. The firstborn gets uh, preeminence. Firstborn gets uh, inheritance entitlements. But we also see this extra stipulation in the Hebrew law, which I'm not saying it isn't in other cultures, but is definitely in the Hebrew one, where you are to marry within your own tribe for inheritance in order to keep the name going and in order to keep the political boundaries established. That way, you keep what God has proportioned amongst the tribes constant and equal. That way you wouldn't have, say, the tribe of Judah trying to steal from the tribe of Levi or from tribe of Benjamin or any of them because these allotments had been made. So inheritance became very important because it was the management of these allotments. The king could only descend to a kingly line and just like a farmer, his property could only descend to his farmer line. So the priesthood could only descend to the priestly line. So that way everything was proportioned, everything was managed, everything was compartmentalized. And that's why the line of Adam is very important because only someone from the line of Adam can inherit from Adam. That's why Jesus in, Gen in Luke, Luke makes this big argument about why Jesus goes all the way back to Adam to claim he has the right to inherit from him. And if he does, now he has the right to receive the office of the firstborn. Does that fill in a lot of missing information for you, Steve? Yeah, that was, that's fair enough. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. It's really good that you brought that up because uh, that's definitely some information that, that we need to address because if you're not familiar with the Bible, yeah, I could see why beyond the fact that the Bible talks about it, yeah, there's a lot of significance. Awesome. So then, uh, as we then keep moving into this, let's take a look at a, another couple conversations around this language. We're going to jump over into Deuteronomy chapter uh, 21. And what we're going to end up doing, so Deuteronomy involves a dialogue here involving the laws of the firstborn succession. So this language is describing, it's helpful because we get to see not only this legal conversation, a little bit of what we're going to see here in Deuteronomy 21, but what we're going to see is how it's described with the word Rashid again. So here we are, 21, we're going to look at verse 17. So I'm going to read from 15, but we're going to focus in on 17. 15, it says, if a man has two wives, uh, the one loved and the other unloved, and both the loved and the unloved have borne him sons. The firstborn son belongs to the uh, if the firstborn son belongs to the unloved, then it shall be in the day he wills what he has to his sons, that he cannot make the son of the loved the firstborn before the son of the unloved, who is the firstborn. But he shall acknowledge the firstborn, even the son of the unloved, by giving him a double portion of all that he has, for he is the Rishi. He is the beginning of his strength, and to him belongs the right of the firstborn. So we see a very important statement being set here, that if I were to have two wives, one may be a slave, as we see ending up with... Uh, 
Abraham having two wives in Hagar and Sarah. And we end up seeing uh, Sarah being the favorable and Haggai being the unfavorable, even being dispatched and removed from the household. So when we take a look at that and we see here in the law of Deuteronomy, we see the same kind of problem. But the law goes out of its way to say, even if you have an unloved child, with a, if you have a child with the unloved wife versus the, you know, the child with the loved, if the unloved child came first, it doesn't matter how much you love the loved, you know, the other relationship. He's still the firstborn. He's still the Rashid. And what I find fascinating is the language used to describe this firstborn. For he gets the description of being he is the Rashid of his strength. So we get that same exact description being described here that we previously saw being given to, uh, sorry, it was uh, Reuben, and we also see that being described with Jesus. Well, we also see that being a legal precedent for why this has to be. So that's a very interesting uh, conversation to have there. And now we're going to bounce ourselves one more time into Psalms. We're going to go into Psalms 105. And then we're going to take a look at section 33 to 36. So Psalm 105. So that's a pretty interesting statement that we see, again, giving us that beginning of his strength in Deuteronomy. We have that first fruits, which is the strongest, right? The most potent, the potential, the best plant that he has to offer. We get all that plant's vigor, the seed, the first fruit, the rashith, the beginning of his strength. So we keep these things in mind because this is building upon our concepts. Now let's move into Psalms 105 and read from uh, 33. This is a very interesting uh, conversation. Let's see if this language sounds familiar to us. So uh, this again, if we were to read back to verse uh, 23, this is talking about the time in Egypt. So we're going to read from verse 33. He struck down their vines also and their fig trees and shattered the trees of their territory. He spoke, and locusts came, and young locusts, even without number, and ate up all vegetation in their land, and ate up all the fruit of their ground. He also struck down all the firstborn of their land, the Rashid, the first fruits of all their vigor. The first fruits of all their vigor, the Rashid, the strongest, the potent, the potential, the best plant. The strength of that plant, the vigor, that's what was taken out when we saw the first generation of Egypt being removed. It was their strength. It was their vigor. It was their Rashid being removed. Now we're going to move forward to Jeremiah 49, move into the prophets. We're going to take a look at uh, one more example here. I know this isn't as flashy, but I do believe it's just as weighty as uh, a couple of these other aspects. But what it's doing is it's heavily rounding out this emphasis as we look at the beginning of a new people, as we continue to look at this covenantal association, and now at this continuance of progeny. 
So that's Jeremiah 49 and see what this has to add into the conversation as we take a look at verse 34 and 35. All right, so we read, That which came as the word of the Lord, so again, that's Jeremiah 49, verse 34 and 35. That which came as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet concerning Elam, and the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, saying, so here we have an in the beginning, right? What do we have? We have at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I am going to break the bow of Elam, the finest of their might, the finest of their sheet. That's fascinating. So here we have a in the beginning, just as we did with Moses and the beginning of Israel and the shattering of Egypt's might, the shattering of Egypt's Rashid. So it's absolutely fascinating, Jeremiah, taking those words, taking that precedent and using that as a prophecy against Elam, easing that same Rashid association. So when we read this stuff, right, at the Rashid, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the king of Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I am going to break the bow of Elam, the Rashid of their might. So we have to come to see that we can't just simply pick up the Bible and just read and walk as though we understand. There is a lot of cultural and significant understanding associated with these words that the Bible just assumes the reader knows. What we've come to see here in this last study is this understanding of this continuance of progeny, this might, this strength, the king's, the kingdom's future, all being associated with the seed of the king, the succession of his son. When we see this, we combine it with what we've learned over the whole course of the Rashid. Like in the, we got to come to grips with our social expectations are not the social expectations of Genesis 1 and the Bible writers. The Rashid in the beginning has social expectations when compared through both the Old and the New Testament. That cultural expectation for Rashid is, is I think, been made clear. As we've gone through this, it refers to the beginning of a people, a nation and a kingdom, a son succeeding his father's kingdom. First fruits, this is associated with covenantal requirements and the forward of the moving forward of that kingdom's civic duties in order to uphold these covenantal requirements. And that this first fruit, that in the beginning of this covenantal system, we see this being important because this first fruit is going to bring forward the strength for the kingdom and its future generations. So Genesis 1, in the beginning. Genesis 1, Rashid. Means a lot more from when we first picked up that phrasing. It means a heck of a lot more than the very first time uh, we ever heard it. And it means a lot more than God made clouds, mountains, and grasshoppers. It means a lot more than that. 
to the people who would have been reading the Bible, who would have understood these phrases and terminologies as we see them heavily echoed throughout Scripture from Genesis consistently all the way through Revelation. As we've looked at these words, this image of its own has appeared. We can now start getting into conversations about how we would like to interpret these types of things, but that's not so far you know, been the point of what we've been doing. What we've been trying to do is ascertain the context of Genesis 1. So as it goes to Genesis 1, and obviously this is going to be able to open the door to a whole lot of awesome conversation, we are now officially started the Bible. Where are we when we read in the beginning? So I'm going to go opposite this time and say we've covered a lot of terrain, Steve. We've covered a lot of concepts, a lot of geeky things, a lot of not-so-geeky things. But I think we've done a very good job of exhausting and pushing forward a great biblical take on what Rashid is and what that sets up for us to read Genesis 1. Combined with everything that we've said up to this point, where are you sitting now? What's your opinion? What Any words you'd like to share on it? Where are you at with when we look at the Bible and we approach Genesis 1? After this study, now that we're coming to the end of it, what do you have to say about Genesis 1 in the beginning? Um, I mean, I definitely look at it now like it's second nature to I me. Mean, just pick it up and say, in the beginning, okay, we're talking about, you know, this is this kingdom starting, and as opposed to, you know, hey, this is in the beginning, in the beginning, like, you know, the Big Bang or whatever anybody wants to say. And, um, it definitely makes just way more sense. Like, I feel like a lot of people that are, you know, dismissive of the Bible or, you know, new to it or whatever, coming from this perspective, it just empowers you more, empowers the Bible more to learn it and to actually, you know, not get sidetracked on nonsense and, you know, because it, it makes sense. And that's what's always been an issue with me. And I'm sure a lot of people listening is... This doesn't even make sense, but this makes sense. And it ties so much together that it's just makes, you know, my brain just light up. Honestly, it's like, wow. Okay. So I'm really appreciating this. And it's just really amazing. Just listening to how all this is playing out. I really like how you said that, that it's, it's lighting up your brain because that's what I find too, is it just, it makes so many connections and it brings reality to these things as opposed to it being hidden in the mystery of time, so to speak. So, yeah, I, I see a lot of, and I agree with a lot of points you made there. Uh, thank you, Steve. So let's move on now to Leith. Uh, we've been through a lot in this study. We've entered the word of Genesis 1. We've entered the world of Adam in the beginning context of where he's coming from. We've gone over a lot. Where are you now, now that we've started Genesis 1? We are in the beginning officially. Where are you seeing things at now, Leith? Well, like you said, uh, it's it's exciting to get out of this idea that uh, we're talking about rocks, stones, trees, slugs, and bugs is for creation. <clears throat> Looking at a new beginning, meaning the beginning of a new kingdom, it, the, the power behind this word is intense because it's so much deeper. Um, I had a friend of mine tell me this week that um, as I was sharing some of this stuff with him, it seemed like he was really turned off because he says, this seems so complicated. I believe that scripture should be something that 
uh, that the scripture is capable that where if a 12 year old read it, he should understand it because we have this spiritual connection with the Bible. And, and I just thought, yeah, I think a 12 year old could read it, but the 12 year old needs to be trained on how to read it. And so now I'm a 45 year old that feels like a 12 year old being taught how to read the Bible. So when I'm looking at um, new kingdom, uh, the receipt, the beginning of something, when I see the beginning of anything now in scripture, I'm always going to second, take a second look. And, and that is because when that word is used, we're talking about a new kingdom. Well, what's required for a new kingdom? Well, the something, whatever is required for a new kingdom requires a leader. It's like, well, what kind of leader? Well, it needs to be a very, very good leader. It needs to be the best, the, the most qualified the most uh, uh, well-trained, tr- tr- the, the, uh, the most honorable. And so that first fruit idea, it's like, uh, you know, you think of, of how people, like even today, um, they, they put their child through rigorous schooling sometimes if, if a child is going to take over a, a corporation or if, or if you're hoping that your child is going to, to um, you know, be able to carry your name. That, this happens even today. Um, and so, and then, but then the idea of, of with that child being, um, placed the load on his shoulders, this passing down of this, of a whole nation, a whole kingdom, a whole organization and, and it's armies and it's, and also it's people that, that need to be and how they're fed and how they're cared for and how they're brought up and educated. And, and I'm looking at this going, the, the idea of, 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 inheriting a, a kingdom and 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 what what goes b- behind that we don't think about these days in these terms you know it's like i have my son but now i'm looking at my own son in a different way it's like god i might need to rethink you know what it even means to be a father but um uh you know this continuance of progeny of, you know of of continuing the descendants and and it's like we talk about legacy. We talk about what it means to leave a legacy. It's like, yeah, if I can flip my, my kid, you know, uh, a few hundred thousand dollars after I'm dead, then I know I'm a good dad. It's like, not really. I'm looking at this, these kind of words, how they used it, and it's like, man, I can live on through my kids. We do hear that a lot and uh, other stuff, but I'll stop talking. But it's, it's just pretty mind-blowing how, how vast and how wide and deep this beginning, uh, this receipt word is, and it's, it's it will ever, I, I can never walk away from this word and go back to what I thought it was. Hey, I wasn't rushing you to, to shut down. You were doing exactly great. Going, you know, that was awesome. I was enjoying everything you were saying. You made a lot of really, really good points. I love how you humanized it. You brought it. We do. We still do it today. And I agree with you. Understanding this stuff makes me a better father. Why? Bring some reality in. Like Steve was saying, this is about reality. It's about a parent with a son, you know, and he's trying to set him up and he's trying to do the best he can. And they're living in a culture and this just this language is just related in that culture. You know, if you go and talk to any farmer today, they're proud of their first seed. It's no different. And now, what do we read in the New Testament? It's the first seed that gets saved. And it was the first seed. It was the first fruits. It was the first fruits from the first tree on the dry land, Jesus, 
who was raised out of the ground, the first fruits, the seed that was planted. So this language isn't by accident, and it is a language that we still speak today. We just got to stop reading the Bible as though it's a dictionary written by Greeks in the year 2000, which goes to another point you made. The Bible is not easy to read, and a 12-year-old shouldn't just be able to pick it up and read it, because if it was that easy, why do we still have 2,000 years of theologians from the year Jesus died and this message was written? Why do we have 2,000 years of people fighting over what it means if simply a 12-year-old can pick it up and understand it? So they will, will remove that level of argument from this game, hopefully with these studies, because though the Bible is not something you can simply pick up, and I think we've shown that in this study. So we're going to move over to Tom and say, now that we have shown all this stuff in study, all the way from humans before Adam, especially now to the very beginning of the Bible, when we go to read Rashid, when we go to read in the beginning, the strength of the king going forward, a kingdom being established, a covenant system being rolled out. How do you now, Tom, with all your history of all the training coming from your religious background, how's that clashing with how you're seeing things? Yeah, so I'll say this, Dallas. Um, you know, before I ever even uh, had kind of decided to, to go to seminary, I, I had... Uh, taken on the task of reading through the Bible. Um, you know, I've done it more than more than once. Uh, now that I've gone through through seminary, I've done it, you know, a few more times, and I still still read through it uh, to this day. But but prior to seminary, um, you know, I, I I did just decide. I, I you know I was infatuated with it. I picked up the book and I read it all the way through from from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And so, yeah, it's not an easy uh, book to just pick up and, and read and completely understand. I still don't completely understand it um, to this day fully. Um, you know, I think it's it's going to be one of those situations where we're, we're continually uh, uh, learning. But, but anyways, all that to say... Um, before you move off from that point, Tom, I'd yeah. just like to throw out there, when Jesus showed up on the scene, there were Pharisees. And just so if you people aren't aware of this, to be a Pharisee, the basic tenet was you had to have the Torah memorized. You couldn't right. call yourself a Pharisee until you had the first five books of the Bible memorized. And what did Jesus say about these people? He said they didn't know what the Bible said. Yeah. So knowing yeah. it word for word doesn't mean you know the Bible. That's interesting. So I just wanted to throw that into back you up there, Tom. It was a great point. No, that's 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 a great point too, Dallas. But uh, yeah, just, just you know, and and that's one of the things that that Paul mentions, right? He says, you know, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and I counted all rubbish. So, um, you know, the importance is not knowing and memorizing. The, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, or, or, you know, all of the Gospels or all of Revelation or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, so I'm going back to where <laughs> when you jumped in here to just say that, you know, as I, as I read through the Bible before I ever attended seminary, it, it's uh, the kingdom theme, I believe, is evident 
to someone who uh, just picked up the Bible and just decided to read it because I I saw that um, you know just as a lay person going through I'm like man there's there's this kingdom theme in it and it's literally going from the very beginning in Genesis all the way to the end of, of Revelation. So, um, but needless to say, again, yeah, there's lots of things that I, I didn't understand, but, but yeah, this has helped me greatly too, because it has kind of uh, emphasized or enhanced um, kind of uh, my view of, of how important uh, the beginning is the resheath and the first fruits and the and the firstborn and um, you know again you 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 get a sense of that if you read the Bible but uh, what what we've done here has really uh, been great I think we we've taken a, a pretty deep dive into this and um, you know it's it, it's all about you know th- this beginning is all about this kingdom that God is establishing and and He's established these various kingdoms throughout uh, the earth. And then uh, now there's this kingdom that is God's kingdom. It's here and it's now and it's available um, to those that that want to be in it. And uh, so so that that excites me, man. I just love um, talking about the kingdom with other people and, and saying, you know, but but in order to to tell people about the kingdom, you kind of got to know uh, what it entails to to be in the kingdom, and 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 uh, you know the fact that that God loves us so much that He's made it available uh, to us, and and so uh, you know all of the what, what Leif was saying earlier, you know the the that's that's where righteousness exists and that's uh that's where we're called to be be a light to the world you know we we've got we've got a world that is it's walking in darkness and and uh yeah they don't understand the kingdom so um you know i think i've said it before you can't really uh give away with what you don't have or possess well you can't give away what you don't understand either so um, how can we point people to the kingdom if we don't know what the kingdom is? And so this is this has been awesome. Now let's take that same thought and keep it going with that that awesome language of showing how with this kingdom coming that there were, you know this light and there's darkness and, and we see this. So let's put into what we've learned back into Genesis one and because we get that light and dark right again. Genesis 1. We've come a long way to understanding the context in which Adam was born into. We've gone a long way to understanding the world that was going on, and now we've come to understand in the beginning of a people. So let's take a quick plug back into Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, Rashid. In the beginning of a people, a nation, a kingdom, a son succession, covenant requirements and civic duties being established, and the firstborn, the continuance of prodigy, the might and the future in the beginning. 
God created. That opens a very interesting door for us because in order for us to continue, we need to understand what created means. Because if we were that wrong on in the beginning, if in the beginning does not mean stars and it does not mean heaven and comets and black holes and physical matter, and it means in the beginning is associated with a kingdom, a covenantal kingdom, the beginning of a covenantal kingdom. What does create mean? In the beginning, God created. That's where we're going to pick up on our next uh, conversation, gentlemen. We're going to be moving into the word bara, And that's going to be a very fun conversation as well, because we're going to be now moving into what did God create? We have an association. We have a word that's used in a specific manner. In the beginning, God created. Well, if Rashith tells us to expect a new kingdom, covenant, and a succession, God created. Does God created also have a cultural word? It's, you know, uses expectation. That's what we're going to find out. So I want to thank you, gentlemen. I want to thank you all for listening to, uh, the podcast, and I know a lot of you are getting something out of it. So since those who from all the way start to the beginning, if you want to join in the conversation, you can jump onto Facebook and there we have a page set up. It's the Challenging the Traditions of Men podcast. Feel free to jump over there, uh, open discussions, ask questions, and do what we uh, do what you can. And we'll spot as much conversation around these topics because not only is it fun, but it's life-changing. So thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Uh, wherever you are, I hope this finds you well. God bless.